Hi, it's Bill Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy Group. Outstanding. Looks like we got some good levels here. And let's get right into our interview. Of course, we're coming off of some big news from the North Dakota Supreme Court. Of course, it's not so much big news as much as it is uh, validation of something that was big news 18 months ago. So we're joined by William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, to talk about the latest with the Davis Refinery in Belfield, North Dakota. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, pretty good. Let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, it, it, was it 18 months? Is that right? Is that how long this has been since, I guess, we've, we've validated, or has it been longer than that? Actually, I, I think it's almost been over two years, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, the original permit was granted, the final permit, in June of 2018. So hmm. it's uh, almost exactly two years of litigation after the permit was granted. And prior to that, um, we originally applied for the permit in October 2016. So it was about 21 months to get to the, uh, to get to the permit. So, you know, pretty close to four years for the entire process. And I tell you sometimes, and I apologize to everybody out there, all these different uh, numbers, and it uh, gets confusing at times. That's why we bring the CEO on to talk a little bit about this. But if it's been 24 months since the department, is, it was environmental control or environmental quality, excuse me, that uh, they issued that permit. And walk us through a little bit what's happened since then, because most people think when you get that, that uh, air quality permit, that's the one that sets the rest of the course in motion, so to speak. So let's talk a little bit about what happened uh, two years ago to where we're at today. Oh, sure. And put it in context, uh, you know, there are a number of permits that you have to get. Um, the process started with the County of Billings, where we uh, uh, went in uh, 2015 to get our conditional use permit and rezoning for the site. Uh, that was actually granted in July of 2016. Um, so you take the the previous 45 months, you can add a year to that. So it's you know it's been five years of permitting for for Davis. Um, once we got the permission from the county to actually use that site for the refinery, uh, we went ahead and started our detail engineering and filed the air quality permits, and that interaction with the uh, permitting agency, the Department of Environmental Quality, as it's called now, was continuous and intensive, and we made a lot of design changes as a result of that interaction. Um, so that permit uh, was in draft form towards the end of uh, 2017. Uh, we received over 10,000 public comments on the uh, draft permit. Uh, both ourselves and uh, the Department of Environmental Quality had to respond to every one of them. And once that was done in early uh, 2018, the department went back and, you know, considered everything and came back with their final permit. So it was a very intensive process, uh, you know, and not, you know, just occasionally. It was a week-by-week -week intensive review and, and design progress and, interaction with uh, the agency and, of course, uh, consideration of all the uh, comments, uh, which, you know, there wasn't a single one that we did not answer. So, yeah, this, uh, you know, 
people think that uh, somehow in states like North Dakota, it's going to be a simpler thing. Uh, I've been involved in energy projects all around the world. Uh, California uh, in the United States is considered the toughest. And I would say that what North Dakota put us through is every bit as tough as what you would face in California. That's one of the things that strikes me a bit odd. And I remember you and I, I guess, not having detailed conversations, but I guess I would I would comment to you from time to time off the air about, God, I've never seen any facility go through this amount of rigorous red tape. And I've been around for a while in terms of, you know, covering government affairs for 25 years, a number of different things. Did I know you guys have had conversations about this because – you just said, I mean, this has been like California and, and North Dakota put out videos talking about how business friendly and et cetera it was. Do, do you think that this had to do with the Theodore Roosevelt National Park being so close? Or do you think it had to do with the 16-year-old girl going around uh, talking about climate change, combination of things, kind of a perfect storm Um now that you guys are going to go go ahead and move forward, have you guys had a chance to kind of process this about the national park and just kind of the state affair? I mean, the climate change issue has gotten banks to force people to go down an ESG certification, in which you guys have gone down that path. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about the perception and what why you feel that you know it, it was so problematic and and um, legalese, if you will. Yeah, I, thanks. That's a great question. Um, you know, first of all, Meridian is not afraid of the the environmentalist movement. Uh, we're a product of that movement. Uh, we started this process uh, intending to change the industry for the better, and uh, we've already done so. Uh, having Davis built in an operation will make further progress and then doing additional projects like Davis around the country will, will kind of close the gap there. But, uh, you know, just seeing what we accomplished uh, through our interaction with their quality, uh, you know, Davis is going to have one tenth of the industry average, uh, total pollutants, less than one half of the greenhouse gas. If half of the re- refinery capacity in the U S were replaced by Davis style projects, we would uh, reduce the U.S. Uh, carbon footprint by 90 million tons per year. Um, you know, that's that's a lot for a little company to do. Uh, you know, the TR Park was part of it uh, by virtue of the fact that we're fairly close to the park. Uh, we're in a Class 1 attainment zone and had to meet more stringent requirements. And you could say, as, as a matter of fact, that the project Davis Refinery is cleaner because it is going to be located close to the park. Um, you, know, you mentioned the, the latest uh, uh, set of, uh, of buzzwords, you know, environmental, social, and governance issues, ESG. Uh, that's become a big thing over the last couple of years. And because of the equator principles being so, um, so uh, important to major investors in the country. Uh, we've had to go back and make sure that everything we've done is fully documented as being in compliance with those equator principles. 
And we found that from day one, we were in compliance. We've always done business that way. Uh, we went through an intense review uh, procedure uh, right at the beginning of the year before our investors went out into the market for the Davis Project financing, and we passed with flying colors. Um, this, uh, the company, the way it does things is exactly what is needed in the energy business uh, at this time. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're aware of the difficulties that the industry is going to face, uh, you know, um, doing business in this environment. But I think we've shown that you can do so. Has anybody from the environmental uh, movement from, and in fact, Terry Edom is a great word, climate activist. I think that's a great term. Anybody from that side of things uh, reached out to you guys and offered to embrace some of the technology and some of the innovation that you guys have put forward. You bring out, you, you really brought up a good point, which is you guys have been practicing environmental practices and a lot of this just seems so political and so blanketed and, and et cetera. I'm just curious, has anybody reached out to you and said, you know what, well, we're going to support you because your science was right. Has, has anybody done that, by the way? No, it's been very frustrating. Uh, you know, in our view, uh, if you're an environmentalist and you don't support the Davis Project and what it's trying to accomplish, you're a hypocrite. Um, early on in the, in the use permit process, we tried to establish a line of communication with, uh, with a number of opponents to the project that were worried about the park on how we could actually um, help the park, uh, how we could control some flaring on, you know, oil site, uh, drilling sites that were near the park. Uh, you know, I don't know if anybody knows this, uh, really, but, uh, our analysis shows that the park will produce more emissions than the refinery does, uh, just visitors to the park and all their cars. Uh, you know, we kind of float a little balloon that we would help the park figure out how to do something with the uh, low emission vehicles to cut back on park emissions. Uh, nobody took us up on that. And I think it's just that if you're in a leadership role in the environmentalist or environmental activist movement, uh, for you to embrace a fossil fuel project, no matter how clean, it's a kiss of death. Uh, they're afraid to embrace us no matter what we're accomplishing. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's very frustrating for us. And we, I don't believe a lot of people uh, are with me on this, that you can have a sustainable uh, energy industry in the United States without fossil fuels. It's just fossil fuels have to be done in a different manner. They have to be clean. Now, the processing has to be clean. So, yes, we have, we have tried. Uh, it has not happened. And that's very frustrating. Let's take a moment to educate then. Davis Refinery has been approved as a synthetic miner source. So talk about the significance and, and what that means so that people can understand why that is, why, why, why you guys went to court and, and had to prove it, you know? I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. Yeah, well, if you took a, a refinery like Davis and you used absolutely no emissions control technology whatsoever, um, it would be horrendously dirty, uh, it would be like your car 
you know, everybody's occasionally seen a, a clunker car or truck out there on the road that has somehow uh, started to get around without any pollution control at all. And it's like uh, an old World War II battleship laying down a smokescreen. Um, you know, that's what a refinery would look like without emissions controls. What synthetic uh, minor source means is that you've taken a project like Davis that could be dirty, and by using um, all of the environmental controls available to you, all the technology available, you have created a plant that will have actual emissions that are so far below the allowable limits that you're treated like a minor source, uh, like a uh, like a small restaurant would be a minor source. Um, you know, it's a major accomplishment for a, con a full conversion refinery to achieve that level of emissions. Now, when we first got the draft permit issued towards the end of uh, 2017, Oil and Gas Journal called it historic. Um, you know, first of all, there hasn't been a, a full conversion grassroots plant permitted in 40 years. So, you know, we're, che we're cheating and that we're the first one to uh, try to do it this way. So, uh, you know, it's setting the bar at a new level. Uh, quite frankly, our second project is probably going to be a little bit cleaner because uh, we'll learn some things as we finish up building Davis. Um, but, you know, you put really good engineering people to work on a thing like this and something they believe in, they're going to come up with some pretty unique solutions. I remember when we first started covering this when it came out, you know, the first greenfield refinery being built in the United States last 40 years. I thought that was a pretty significant thing. And I started questioning, you know, what, what, why hasn't there been one built in the last 40 years? And then I saw what you guys went through. And I saw the amount of pushback and the increase of just the polarizing politics involved with, fossil fuels and, and emissions and, and et cetera. Um, do, do you think the, the flip side is going to come? The, the kudos, the, hey, you know what, this is the, the, quite an accomplishment. Uh, do you know what I mean? Do, do you think that you guys will get kind of a, almost like a welcome wagon, or, or is it going to be fossil fuels are just in the polarizing state? Because it ain't going anywhere, I can tell you that. I mean, I, I actually think what you guys are doing is really smart, and we'll get to that next. But talk to me a little bit about um, just the milestone of the 40 years, you know, 50 years since the last Greenfield conf uh, refinery. And then how do you think the public's going to accept that? Because, you know, 10 years ago, I, you'd think that they would be rolling out the red carpet, wouldn't you? Well, you know, just, it's just a matter of perception in, in many respects. Uh, when people think about a refinery, they think about uh, what's out there right now. And a lot of that is not very pretty. Um, you know, they're a lot bigger. They're a lot more dirty. Um, so it's, it's difficult. Plus, uh, when you see some of these plants located in areas where they've been surrounded by residential, uh, you know, areas suddenly, there's, there's a, inherent uh, conflict there between this, the visual impact and the refinery itself. So, you know, they, these guys haven't been able to create buffers around the refinery. They haven't been able to do all the things necessary to become a good neighbor. Um, but, 
you know, that's part of what we hope to show the industry is possible now. Um, you know, that we're not doing this for the public kudos. Uh, we would just like people to give this project a chance and see what it looks like when it's finally there and how we manage things. Uh, and I think the local community will be overwhelmingly happy that we've moved to the area. Um, you know, I, we've talked about this before, but, you know, uh, North Dakota has had a rough time uh, over the last uh, couple of years, uh, well, most recently because of the coronavirus uh, issues affecting oil and the rise and fall of commodity success, you know, for both ag and, and oil. Uh, the state has identified a tremendous need for the processing of these commodities to build long-term jobs and long-term value added, uh, both in ag and in energy. And this is exactly what we're doing. You know, these are not like drilling jobs where you have a rise and fall in, in a large transient uh, population coming and going. Um, you know, they're going to be up to 200 people working at the project. Um, the job creation, according to the state of Washington, is from 12 to 1 to 14 to 1. So, you know, we're talking about a couple of thousand local jobs. Uh, you know, Belfield, for instance, hasn't had a grocery store in a long time. Um, there's talk that uh, once the project gets in operation and people start working there, there will be a, a new grocery store to site uh, there north of the freeway. Um, the tax base of Billings County is going to almost triple when the project gets there. So a lot of very important local infrastructure will suddenly become possible, you know, everything from schools to road improvement. So, you know, again, uh, if you've done everything you can to eliminate the downside in terms of both pollution and visual impact, then there's just an awful lot of upside that we want to have people recognize when we get there. I remember one of the first, uh, probably the first six months, I did a story called Harry the Dirty Dog, and it had to do with a book I used to read as a kid about this dog, Harry, and during bath time, he'd go and he'd hide the brush. But during the story, he went down the coal chutes and went through the refinery and got all dirty and talked about as a kid about how it just totally, you know, embedded these these dirty thoughts of of fossil fuels in my head. And then I went to Pittsburgh for the first time, and I thought Pittsburgh was a dirty steel town, this and that. And I was just blown away how gorgeous Pittsburgh was. And I often think about that with the oil and gas industry because when I first went into it, you know, I had a whole different perception of what I actually experienced in real life. And anyway, I just thought, thought I'd mention that because a lot of people, I think, my age at least, know that book, Harry the Dirty Dog, because it was one of the many ways which, you know, they, they can uh, help educate kids uh, to a certain way, uh, you know, I, that's, that's a different conversation for a different day, but uh, I think you know what I mean by that, about how sometimes oh, yeah. the perception and reality isn't, it doesn't quite match up. So uh, I, I did want to ask you a little bit about the coronavirus a little bit and the COVID-19 shutdown. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the, the, the benefits that are going to happen to Belfield and the uh, Billings County. Is that right? Billings? Yeah, okay. which I, but geez, last time I checked, I think they only had, had like 900 people in that whole county or something like that. Um, yep. 
Yeah, they all they all do pretty well, but um, they, it's just they, they it's a, it's not a large county, and so something like this is going to bring some very much uh, needed population, economic stimulus. It'll bleed over into Stark County, which is where Dickinson is for those people outside of the area. Dickinson borders. Uh, what are they about thirty miles apart, twenty miles apart? Dickinson and Belfield. So they're really going to be able to play off each other very well for for that whole thing. But talk to me a little bit about the uh, coronavirus and then bleed into either agree or disagree, because I think I think this is a perfect time to build. Actually, I think it's better than it would have been a year ago uh, for for a variety of different reasons. But uh, the industry is actually kind of creating its new normal, if you will. It's kind of carving its own niche. And, and the one thing that people need to understand, it ain't going away. It ain't going anywhere. And having more options in a Midwest area is only going to benefit the industry as it continues to climb out of negative oil and into $30, $40, $50 oil. Um, what, what have you guys had in your meetings about the coronavirus and how you feel building a refinery in the current state of affairs, whether it be the oil or whether it be the coronavirus? Well, the, you know, the oil industry is subject to um, pretty severe cycles, uh, always has been. Um, and that is usually very tough on the communities that, uh, that are serving or, or being served by nearby crude oil uh, resources. Um, what has happened out of the coronavirus uh, um, impact on the oil industry is that the kind of trends that we identified uh, you know, 10 years ago when deciding to go down this pathway. Uh, this, this set of trends and structural changes in the industry have accelerated. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple of refineries. Uh, uh, you know, you, you talk about the, the dirty dog kind of thing, uh, you know, when when the United States uh, free market economy goes through uh, uh, so-called sea changes and kind of the creative destruction that happens uh, in, a, in industry, uh, it's the worst projects that end up getting shut down the soonest. Now, sometimes it's because they've had uh, safety or performance issues or, you know, in the case of uh, Philly, uh, that refinery shut down because of the a severe fire and explosion, uh, superior, um, you know, the older, more uh, accident-prone plant, prone plants are the ones that are going to probably go permanently offline first when severe uh, conditions like this uh, start impacting the industry. Uh, looking back over the last six months, uh, had uh, the Davis refinery been in operation as of uh, this past New Year's Eve, we would have made a lot of money in the last six months. Um, so, you know, it the coronavirus impact on the industry doesn't bother me uh, from a pure microeconomic point of view. Uh, you know, we actually took a long look at uh, the situation and how it would impact uh, Meridian, uh, you know, as far as an investment return is concerned, before going out into the market several months back for our project financing. And the thought was, well, you know, um, this is a contrarian investment. Uh, this is an investment that does well no matter how much stress the industry is going through on a 
week basis. So let's get it out there and get the project going. And like we said, we wish we would have had it done at the beginning of the year. In fact, as far as I know, we're the only major energy financing that's out there in the capital markets right now. Um, you know, the other thing is uh, whatever happens in oil, um, when you start building a project like Davis, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at competitive advantages that are being put into concrete and steel. It, it doesn't matter to me uh, what the price of oil is on any given day. Uh, you can't worry about that with an asset like this. You just have to build one that has inherent competitive advantage where you, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, the numbers don't lie. We, we could have survived this last six months with uh, no problem at all. Um, you know, and the changes I was talking about earlier, they're being accelerated. You know, the industry is focused for, well, a hundred years on bigger and bigger projects located on the coast where, you know, whatever tanker floating by, uh, you've got a, a refinery complex enough to go ahead and use that crude oil, which means any given crude oil going through your project, uh, you've got idle investment that's not being used to process that crude. Uh, it's a very expensive way of doing business. And since your plant is not optimized for a single crude oil, your operating costs are going to be way too high. So if you do what we've done, which, again, I consider cheating because, uh, you know, we're starting with a blank sheet of paper and a blank piece of ground, you put your project back right next to a source of very good crude oil, like Bakken crude, you design your project to only process that crude so you don't have any idle capital when you're, you know, playing the field out there. And your operating cost and your, your, your cost capital is going to be significantly less. That makes us extremely competitive, no matter what the market looks like. Uh, also, you know, just transportation advantages. Uh, why ship your crude uh, thousands of miles, break it up into useful products, and then start shipping that all over the country? Uh, it's a lot more efficient to uh, keep your, your plant close to the crude and then ship your higher-value products out to where they need to go. Um, so overall, you know, the, the market is, is doing things that favor our strategy, and under coronavirus, this uh, latest uh, six months of stress has, uh, has accelerated that trend, and we're, we're very happy about it. Uh, we're not happy about uh, the stress that this has induced on a lot of our colleagues in the industry, but, you know, that's the way industries change, is by being stressed to do so. wanted to ask you, before we um, looking at the clock here, as my in-studio dog here starts warning me somebody's in the hallway. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it goes in the COVID-19 days. You bring your dog to work day. Uh, yep. Just wondering about the state of North Dakota, the Petroleum Council, uh, any of the other organizations within the state that are, you know, f- funded to, you know, look out and, and advocate and et cetera. Um, have they reached out to you or anything along those lines about what happened? And what I mean by that is 
I, I was at the the thing in Dickinson several years ago, probably five years ago, where they, they rolled out the red carpet and had a big uh, celebration for a refinery in um, South Hart, in Dickinson area, South Hart. Delegation was there. Mayors were there. Governor was there. It was a big hoot nanny. And then it got sold like a year or two later because the downturn came and a few other things, and nobody ever really talked about it again. Um your, that's why I kept questioning how they were coming at yours. You went through what you did with the state, and the, did the state say, okay, going forward, maybe we should have a new policy that doesn't allow people to copy and paste 10,000 emails at one time. Maybe we shouldn't have rolled out the red carpet for the last people with so many different things. Maybe we shouldn't have done this and that because here's Meridian having to prove themselves for 24 straight months, and they did. And they did. And I just, it's so weird to me that you guys have had to prove yourself over and over again. And nobody seems to want to learn from what you've learned. And I'm not looking to pick a fight. I'm looking to just try to understand. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, look, the state, local government in North Dakota is, uh, is also under, you know, a lot of pressure. Um, you know, the origin of that was with the DAPL um, demonstrations, uh, you know, put the state and all those local jurisdictions uh, in a very difficult position. Um, you know, at the time, the uh, federal administration was a little confused on how to handle that, uh, not very supportive of uh, fossil energy at all. Um, so, you know, it, it was easy to see the the confusion that resulted in an even more vigorous attack by environmental activists. And I think that's one of the reasons why we went through so rigorous a review is to eliminate any possibility that uh, the state could be criticized uh, on the basis of their, their review and the way they applied the law and the regulations to us. So, you know, we, we knew going in it was going to be tough on us. Uh, Nobody's obligated to make things easy on anybody. Um, the state of North Dakota has to look after the citizens of North Dakota. Uh, we think that that includes uh, making sure that viable projects that can create jobs and prosperity are not, um, you know, either eliminated or, or delayed for frivolous reasons, but making us prove that we're not going to be the dirtiest thing out there and that we are complying, is, is not frivolous. We can't argue with the fact that we went through such an intense review. Uh, I think you can do that kind of a review in less time. Uh, but, you know, that's not, that's not my department, so I can't complain about that. Um, you know, I, I, guess, I guess, Jason, I, I can't complain about it. Uh, we all wish we could just walk in and, uh, have a disk with all of our engineering on it, have them plug it into a computer, get out a permit if we can fly, you know, but that's just not the world we live in. Uh, on the, the, the comment thing, you know, yeah, there were, out of that 10,000 plus uh, public comments, I forget the exact numbers, but by far the majority of them were not unique. They were, uh, you know, email, blast email kinds of things. Um, but, 
you know, that doesn't mean they weren't valid comments. Uh, the person who went through the trouble of seeing that and punching the button on a computer felt strongly enough to have done the research and look into it and, and hit the button. So you owe them a response. Um, and, you know, we did. Um, you could argue that uh, those were that was too simple and easy for somebody to just uh, complain about a project they knew nothing about without having to research it. But again, in this day and age, uh, people tend to do things like that. So uh, we have to answer it. We were glad. Yeah, and I wasn't trying to, like I said, pick a fight with anybody or get anybody in trouble. It's just that these are some serious talks, and this is real issues here. And there is a lot of resources that go into defining the system of this. And if, you know, the copy and pasting is, you know, you're, I, I get it. Everybody has, has a right to a voice, but at the same time, you know, maybe, maybe some things should be addressed that if you get, you know, 9,000 of the same emails, well, maybe it's, you know, saying 10,000 emails is, is, is a little overdramatic. And the state was in a tough position. You're right. After the DAPL, uh, pro- protest that did put them in a, in a little bit of a different position, and they were they were in a tough position too. But I did go back, like I say, I go back to some of the other uh, examples that were set by the state and the way that they handled those, and to see how you guys tackled every challenge you did. I just hope people from the state are listening, and people from you know, other states and other organizations are listening because not only is the Davis refinery going to set the new standard when it comes to environmental uh, energy, kind of the logistics too. I mean, you guys really took a brunt because I, my guess is there's going to be a lot of, you know, you know, not fast tracking, but at least it's going to help going forward, isn't it? I mean, you shouldn't have this much pushback from other states going forward now that you guys have kind of carved your way through or am I just talking nonsense here? No, I think it's, I think it's going to help us in terms of uh, having shown that, that what we're doing technically and you know, engineering is, is what it takes to get to those emissions levels. And a lot of what we had to do to convince the state of North Dakota was to show that if you put equipment, these X into this refinery, that it has that given change in the emissions levels. We had to spend a lot of time tracking down, uh, you know, installations using that particular piece of machinery all around the world uh, to prove that it was established, proven technology, that this was not an R&D plant. And uh, that's what took a lot of time in many cases. Uh, That'll be easier the next time around. Our our next project is... uh, is going to be in Texas, and uh, the one after that is going to be in Oklahoma. And, you know, they are just like North Dakota in that they're used to energy deals. Uh, but, you know, having somebody, having already granted us that permit will help them in their review significantly. Closing thoughts, uh, as you know, you look forward now to the second half of 2020. Now, uh, it's official, right? I mean, do you guys have a new kind of breaking ground day, or how, how are we looking on timelines going forward? Well, we kind of used up the real easy stuff to do on site uh, until we get more detailed design done. You know, you, 
in a plant like this with a lot of modules, uh, they have to go out for bid and, you know, fabricators selected and then a, a foundation design is established uh, uh, several months later. So, you know, we're probably not going to be doing a lot in the field uh, for the remainder of this summer, but next summer is when uh, people are going to see a lot of uh, concrete and steel and, and equipment going in. Um, you know, we still have one uh, case pending at the North Dakota Supreme Court uh, on whether or not the Public Service Commission has jurisdiction over the, the project. Um, so that needs to be resolved, too. Um, but, you know, we're, we're confident that that will happen in due course. And, uh, you know, so we, we check out the North Dakota Supreme Court website every uh, 20 minutes or so to see what's going on. Um, 